Welcome to the PR Moment Podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. Welcome to the latest PR Moment Podcast. This week, we're chatting to Rick Guttrich, founder of Smoking Gun, about his career story in public relations and how he went from a procurement officer for the Royal Mail to PR agency CEO. I love the story about how procurement person working in procurement became an agency CEO. It's, I love the irony of it. But anyway, Rick um, is here to talk about all of that. And Smoking Gum, for those of you that don't know, is a PR firm based in Manchester. It has a turnover of about £1.5 million. And clients include Interflora, the NHS and Alton Towers. It has about 15 employees. Previously, um, a few years back, Rick worked for Brazen and Connect Point PR before he and his wife, Vanessa, founded Smoking Gun in 2010. Smoking Gun has had an interesting few years. It was impacted by both Brexit and COVID. And Rick's going to talk um, about how the agency has come through that journey on the show today. Before we start, my normal plug for our webinars, uh, the ones up at the moment uh, include the State of Social Media Report, uh, which has recently launched and uh, takes place in November. Also, thanks as, as ever to our PMO podcast sponsors, the PRCA. Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. Really excited to be here. A pleasure. Don't be too excited, Rick. So, um, come on, we'll talk about your, your earlier career a bit later in the show, uh, about how you got into PR and all that. Um, but it's a, it's an interesting story, smoking gun over the last couple of years, isn't it? And I suspect you are not alone in um, in some of the trends and difficulties we're about to talk through. Um, but just talk me through how Brexit, that, that COVID period was for an independent mainly consumer-focused um, PR firm in Manchester? Yeah, sure. I mean, interesting is one way of putting it. Certainly lost a bit of hair and gained a few few more grey and white ones from uh, from the ones I had previously. So I remember a few years back now, we, we were doing some strategic planning for the business and, and, um, and sort of looking at the path ahead. And, and someone um, gave me the phrase VUCA, talking about um, the world, we live in a VUCA world now, so that's a world full of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and, and ambiguity. That is a new one for me, Rick, but I, I'm you pleased you explain that one because I was a bit lost there. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's an American militarism um, is, is where it came from, American general things, the background. Well, basically, we're living in a world of, of constant turmoil, and I think the last three years or so have just really highlighted that because it's just been one long, endless crisis. You know, the doom scrolling on, on social media has never ended. You know, you need a you need medication after watching the nightly news almost, and it's, it's just <laughs> been so challenging. But I think going back to 2019 was kind of, which feels like forever ago, doesn't it? But the, the country was heading towards um, you know, crashing out of, of sort of um, Brexit with no trade deal. And as... I didn't really feel it was going to impact us immediately too much as a mostly consumer agency, as you say. But as that kind of uncertainty was kind of spreading, um, a number of uh, large clients at the time, a couple of them were American-based, sort of pulled, paused activities and pulled activities in the UK on, on sort of Marcoms beyond PR, just, just general stuff. Um, and then probably a couple of our sort of tier two, if you like, clients, middle clients, in-housed a couple of things. And all of a sudden, within just a, a few weeks, you know, we lost a fairly sizable chunk of, of income. 
Um, and this was on the back of a 2018, which had absolutely been a record year for us, top and bottom line. We'd invested then in, in, in further people, resources, um, et cetera, to kind of make 2019, you know, even bigger and better and, and sort of had the rug pulled a little bit from underneath us. Um, you know, and, and, and maybe I was caught a bit short-sighted at that point. Um, and, and so that was tough. You know, we had to let some very good people go. Um, and that's still in, you know, 20 odd years and in, in this industry now, whatever it is, year 13 of smoking gun, having to let good people go is probably the hardest thing that, that we have to do in this job. You know, a lot of what we do is great and, and, and good and promoting people and hiring people and delivering work for clients is all brilliant, but actually looking people in the eye who've not um, done anything wrong and, and, you know, they've got mortgages and all the rest of it to, to, to sort of pay never gets any easier. So that was a really kind of tough um, tough, tough few months whilst we kind of had to, to sort of dig deep, rebuild, and we just started to get the agency back on track. Uh, the back of 2019, we won a number of, of new clients and projects and retainers, just getting um, going again, getting that confidence back, the mojo. And a, a lot of new business luck comes with a little bit of luck and a little bit of confidence and, and you know, just getting that swagger back to, to kind of help us um, on that journey. Um, heading into 2020, Feb 2020 was our best ever individual month, top line, bottom line. And March 2020 was set to be even bigger. And then obviously um, our little friend COVID came along to uh, to pay a visit. Um, and, you know, it was just phone call after phone call within those sort of first few weeks within the sort of lockdown as things really sort of hit home, the reality of it, are people just cutting, pausing, um, breaking contracts. And, and, and you know, as, as you say, so many people will face the same situation. And I know some agency owners who had a lot of, B2B work maybe didn't feel a, a difference to look further down the line or indeed if there's a lot of corporate work going on that perhaps fees were even going up as they were having to kind of almost over-communicate around situations and, and positions. But certainly on the, the consumer side of things, we just had so many people pulling, pausing um, and, and dropping out. And, uh, you know, you, you just wondered where where we were heading. Do we, would, how long would the cash last? You know, looking at cash flows and just thinking there's a, there's a, there's a horizon here for when the business will, will fold. And then personally, Vanessa and I had just moved house about the week before the lockdown, you know, and it's a renovation project. Um, we lost our builder. We kind of, uh, you know, everything couldn't, everything at once. Trying to, poor Vanessa was trying to homeschool four boys. I was trying to keep the business going. It was just one hell of a time, you know, no kitchen in the house, just, you know, everything the world could throw at us at that point just seemed to come together. So it was certainly a testing, um, testing period right then. Yeah, it's, it does take you back. Listen to um, you talk like that. I mean, I, I suspect I'm not the only one listening to you talk there that um, you kind of think back to, to where each of us were at that time. And I, I must admit, I, it was certainly an uncertain time for us, but we didn't, uh, it sounds like you, you had a, a properly difficult time for that. So that's, that is always tough to go through and well done for getting through it. I mean, how, I don't know about you, but as a business owner, I'm sort of okay until we start running out of money. Do you know what I mean? And we've been there a couple of times in PR moments history. Um, and it's properly stressful. How, how, you know, what did you, did you have a couple of months left, a month left, six months left? Where, where did you, because it, it does get ever more stressful as you, you watch that bank balance go down, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, we're probably sort of 
three months. Right. Uh, we had two months at one point. I forget the exact figure now where we got down to, but it's that, you know. But that's stressful. That is stressful. It's a matter of weeks, isn't it, rather than anything else. And that, that was before. Obviously, things then started to change, didn't they? Furlough came in, so that became, um, you know, a, an opportunity. But we talked to the team as well about, we were just uh, really open and, you know, have to have some difficult conversations about, what might happen, but doing all that on Zoom and things as well. So, you know, you're trying to look people in the white of the eye and you can't really do that online. No, but no it's as, difficult. As, as, a, as, a team, as a team, we all dug together, you know, as, as directors, we we said, look, we're going to take nothing out of the business for the next three months and see what happens to extend that cash flow. The team opted to take a, um, a temporary um, pay reduction um, to get us through that. And, and that was kind of, you know, anonymously voted for. It's either, you know, look at headcount or everyone's in it together. And and the, the guys were absolutely amazing. It was kind of one for all, all for one, stuck together. Then obviously the furlough scheme came in and kind of helped out anyway. And then we just slowly, slowly, slowly started to build, bring clients back up, um, you know, and, and, and restore things. And, and that's been the sort of journey for, for the last couple of years of just, you know, getting that swagger and mojo back, as I referenced before, you know. and But the market coming back as well, because, you, you know, you, you said you sort of, lost sleep worrying about money. Weirdly, money doesn't normally keep me awake at night. It's more the people side of things that that, that causes me to lose sleep. I'm arrogant enough or confident enough or full-hardy enough to always believe that we're going to win business because we always have in 13 years, really strong record in that. But obviously in that period of COVID where FDs across the land were just kind of in survival mode, there wasn't business to be won. And, and, and that was the kind of terrifying thing, I suppose, of kind of going, well, if, if there's nothing to be won there, I, I just, just like, I mean, but what it was interesting when we were talking before, uh, you felt Brexit was a sort of short, sharp hit, but COVID was a longer, longer term um, downturn, if you like. But it sort of obviously came back reasonably quickly, but not completely. Is that what you're kind of alluding to there? Well, I think, I think obviously everyone's situation was different as it was personally, as it was, you know, everyone's business situation, et cetera. So that we're all in COVID, we're all in the same storm, but we're all you know, floating around in different sized boats and, and and different sort of experienced crews and all the rest of it on it. And for us, it was it was short, sharp in terms of the immediate impact um, of all those kind of cuts. And then, yes, some people I know bounced back really quickly, you know, depending on the on the sectors, et cetera. And, and again, there's a bit of, uh, probably a little bit of luck and a little bit of judgment on, on what kind of sectors people work in. And we're quite varied. We're, we weren't, we're not massively into uh, sort of leisure and travel per se. We have a few clients in that area. It's not all our business or restaurants, that kind of thing. Like some people were, were absolutely smashed just by a little bit of just, just the way it was, I think, about, um, I don't know, probably about half our clients just um, didn't come back. They either in-house things, they just sort of cut down to freelancers for the next, you know, just just really kind of t- took a different tack on their, on their PR approach. Um, and so that, that build-back was slow because you, you weren't starting from scratch, but, you know, you'd lost a hell of a lot of um, momentum um, and, and sort of, uh, you know, clients that had been mainstays for, for, sure. for that. And then to be fair, in that same period, you know, we, we lost a big account that we'd had for sort of eight or nine years that, that kind of went up for review. So just, a f- you know, a few things coming together. Sometimes sometimes things don't go your way, do they? That's um, yeah. definitely true. Is it fair to say, and there's clearly exceptions to this rule of thumb, but the market came back slow in in Manchester than it did for the PRC in London. Do you think? It's hard to say. Um, I mean, I know some some people just didn't seem to miss a beat in Manchester, depending on again that that mix, that corporate mix, that that sort of trade piece, etc. Um, certainly, it felt like the consumer side was, was slower to come back than than chatting to sort of peers down in in London, etc. And I think pre-COVID, we were about. 
uh, 55% to our clients were Northwest 45 or London in the Southeast. And weirdly, it was kind of all the London ones that we that we lost um, at that point. Mm. Um, but I think that was, as I said, I, I don't necessarily think that was a geographical reason, just having to be the, the story with those kind of, um, those, those particular businesses and sectors. Right. And that, what sort of shapes business in now? Um, yeah. Pre-COVID, to post-COVID, if you like. Yeah, yeah. I'm sat here kind of... Um, you know, desperately trying to recruit a, a number of roles. Um, oh. As you say, kind of sometimes everything goes against you and sometimes everything goes for you. You know, some of it's making your own look. We're getting payback now for some of the work we did two years ago, if you like, in, in terms of um, outreach, networking, marketing, you know, strategic partnerships, all those million different things you're trying to do to spin the new business plates. And, and some of those have really come to fruition in the last, you know, literally three months. Um, and, and so right now we're, we're kind of, we're, you know, we're absolutely flying. Um, you know, we've won some fantastic work. You, you mentioned um, Alton Towns at the start. So, you know, it's a dream client for me. It's somewhere we've, we've been going, you know, I've been going since I was a teenager. I've got absolute hero dad points now for my kids at home for um, for winning um, for winning that one. Um, you know, but a real mixture of work, more NHS work, more work with the ambulance service, more, um, you know, other big consumer brands that I can't name yet that sort of come on board. So, it's it's a really interesting period, and that's kind of across PR, social, um, influencer um, space, or right across the kind of core core services that we're offering, really. Right, um, and, and, and I suppose connected to that, I mean, how is the Manchester PR scene at the moment? A, a few years ago, it had some definite momentum, I think, didn't it? But then it sort of had a a more difficult couple of years, um, but it seems to be in that growth cycle again. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I think so. There's a lot of startups, um, uh, which is good. You know, it's just kind of keeps the sector fresh and kind of moving on. And, and overall, there's, there's enough work for everyone. You know, the the industry as a whole, as you know, just keeps growing and developing and maturing and, and sort of adding new channels and services into the mix. Um, and, and I think I think that's kind of healthy. And I think that's that's shown across Manchester as well. I was at a get together with you know, some of the industry last week and um, lots of people I was talking to are doing well on booming. There's a few others who aren't having such a good time at the moment, but I think that's always going to be the case, isn't it? There's always going to be a little bit of a mix in there at any one time, but I think overall Manchester's feeling, um, you know, good about itself. I mean, there was a time when I felt that the Manchester PR firms were a bit ahead of that sort of digital innovation curve compared to their the London cousins. I don't know, is that still true, do you think, or is, it, is that sort of evened up now? Oh, we'd like to think it's still true. Um, anyway, Ben. So, <laughs> I think I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of good digital marketing businesses up in Manchester. A lot of yeah. businesses up here, and I think that sort of fusion over into to sort of the content piece, the digital PR piece, is really kind of what you're alluding to there, and that sort of PR and SEO blend. Um, that that perhaps maybe some of the bigger London agencies were still interested in the kind of you know, traditional brand building, brand awareness campaigns and, and sort of, you know, leading, plan, executing on the PR elements of it, the media relations um, and, and, and the content and not maybe through the, the digital uh, marketing performance piece, uh, uh, potentially, um, whereas maybe we were, uh, as, as you say, sort of five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago, sort of jumping on that bit. But I, I don't know, it's, maybe it's a generalisation, but certainly, um, the, you know, the integrated approach is something I've been interested in from the start of my career, from from starting off in a full service agency, really. So it's kind of something I've always been uh, been close to my heart. Well, I think it's interesting. It's always the causes behind those trends, which is is um, the one to focus on, isn't it? The 
as you say, those blended, though it does seem to be a, a bit a sort of closer relationship between the digital agencies and the PR firms in in, in that Manchester PR scene than, than perhaps there was in London. But I, I think, yeah, it's hard to say whether it's whether that is still um, because that you know that game continues to always change, doesn't it? If you see what I mean. So it's not it's 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 not like you you can't stand still at, at any time really. So it's I suspect there is still a perhaps a, 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 a point of innovation there that's uh, continuing. Well, well, everything's cyclical in the industry, isn't it? So you're seeing a lot of London um, headquartered firms opening Manchester offices again in the last few years. Have um, you? Is that right? I, yeah. Okay, who's done that then? I'm trying to think. Just railing, you know, just yeah. one from ahead. You know, Leith have just come down actually from Scotland, so not necessarily just London, but other, other geographies kind of... Um, uh, looking to get it. I mean, obviously, Matt Frank did it a number of years ago now, but um, as I say, for, for, for a number of years, everyone had kind of stopped that. And I think the Northern Powerhouse headlines kind of attracted people to, to opportunities up here. Right. Um, you know, I don't know. I think geography... There's been, there's been quite a changing of the guard, though, hasn't it, in the last 10 years? I and mean, you compare the agencies in Manchester now compared to 10 years ago, it's a it's quite a quite a change and a positive one. Do you know, it's, I'm not saying it's a bad, it's a bad thing. It's... It, but there are some very new names around, aren't there? Yeah, no, there, there are, and there's some different um, uh, propositions and, and things out there as well. And obviously, you start to see uh, the trend for the last few years about employee ownership um, businesses and then kind of that maybe that founder exit mentality is changing as well, um, you know, which can change things uh, as well. So it's it's an ever, it's what keeps us young and interested, though, isn't it, in, in the sector? The, the channels change, the media changes. Um, you know the core sort of fundamental rules of, of communication. Um, you know, it's often still there, but how we kind of deliver that and, and then how we set ourselves up to, to deliver for clients kind of changes. And, and that's, as I say, that's what keeps us exciting and, and sort of moving forward. Um, and, and we see a lot of that happening in Manchester. I mean, obviously we've got the BBC been here now for um, God, what is it now? 10, 10 years or more. Um, um, you know, in, in Salford, we've got BBC Breakfast here. You know, we've got Five Live here, so they kind of daily usage is almost set just down the road. We've got Lab Bible um, Group, you know, sort of really pioneering another sort of social first news and entertainment kind of um, content exploding out of Manchester and around the globe now. So there's there's so much going on um, in in and around the the, the city. And I, I remember probably 15 years ago going down to see a client in London, an ad agency. It's the first time we'd all met together. And uh, this guy from the ad agency sort of came into the room and, and uh, said, oh, where have you come from? Manchester. And kind of gave me a, a you know, funny look. Well, how long did that take you? Thinking it was, you know, the wild west, like two hours on the train. He's, all right. Do you actually know any um, national media? You know, my heckles were up and, 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 and um, obviously, you know, um, offended to the, to, to the core at that point, but there's still some of that attitude back then about actually you couldn't have good PR outside of, of London, and I think that's that's disappeared over the last um, you know 10, 10, 15 years now. People recognise it, it. It's about the great idea and, and, and sort of the great narrative and how you uh, plan and execute you know your campaigns, and that that, that anyone anywhere can deliver outstanding work. It's interesting that you talk about the the media. Um, seen in Manchester because I mean you know anywhere you look in the world where you have a hub of media you tend to for obvious reasons have a, have a hub of PR um, so that concentration of media in Manchester which is yes I think it's fair to say has increased significantly over the last 10 years it would be bizarre if that didn't um, result in an increased Manchester PR scene wouldn't it? 
don't know. Do, 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 they, do the two have to go together? I mean... I think historically they always have, but maybe PR's changed. I mean, media relations is still a pretty important part of public relations, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, It it is. And I think the the media landscape changed. I reckon there's probably about a third of the journalists, sort of staff journalists, as as there were when I started 20 years ago now. You know, so so many fewer people doing seemingly endless um, content. I think it's the pressure on the journalist side of things to it's not about exclusives anymore it's about it's about clicks and it's about um readership figures on on sort of articles and and just keeping people on page and things it's it's um yeah it's sort of crazy pressure that they're kind of under on that but yeah it's a good point though but so what you're saying is the journalists don't sort of have time to see the pr people anyway so frankly maybe it doesn't matter whether they're two minutes down the road or not is kind of what yeah. you're saying there, well it? yeah i mean it's it's still great you can get out and, and sort of you know want to go for a coffee or, or something stronger and sort of build those relationships and we, we make that effort to go and see people but it's not it's not the be all and end all at the end of the day to, to, to achieving the results to be fair right um so coming on as i alluded to in my intro um i kind of love the fact that you're uh, at one point in time your job was a, a royal mail procurement officer and um I mean, clearly PR people have a bit of a, I was going to say a love-hate relationship with procurement people, but it's probably a bit more hate than love, isn't it? Um, but yours is certainly an unusual career story. Just just taught me how you made that jump from procurement to PR. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it was going back to 1999 now. I was working for Royal Mail um, and uh, uh, it's sort of quite strange that they had a head office in Chesterfield. So, uh, despite having London offices down there, a lot of central services were done um, up there in Derbyshire. So I got a job there straight after to uni. Uh, Vanessa and I were planning to go off and, and travel the world and go and work in Australia and, and all that kind of stuff. So to be fair, it was just kind of a job I fell into as opposed to a career choice. But yeah, I was working in, in, in there. Uh, we're not, not sort of procurement in terms of tendering services and the kind of um, stuff that we might deal with from the other side of the spectrum now, but it's more uh, central buying. You know, but, but then I remember the massive thing that everyone uh, in, in Royal Mail Land wanted was um, um, a plug-in uh, headphones for their mobile phones because there'd been a big scare in the media back then about uh, mobile phones causing cancer in your ear, so everyone was trying to plug in headphones. Oh, I'm still worried about that, Rick, to be fair. So I'm, I'm... Oh, there we go. Well, I think the headphones were just directed into, even more into your ear, don't they? I don't know. But <laughs> So I, I was in procurement there, and then I'd gone off Australia. We spent a year. We'd done all that stuff. We came back. Um, and then I ended up working in a prison uh, in a young offenders institute for six months back in back in purchasing team there. Um, so I was like to have that as one of my little um, uh, two truths and a lie sort of quizzes that we have when you start and things. And I spent six months in the young offenders young offenders institute. Get my teeth in. Now people always look terrified, and then I kind of explained that's no, okay. I was kind of working there. But I'd always had a passion of going into uh, something media related. And my uncle Peter, I was a freelance journalist. He's a writer. He's sort of, I don't know, he's about fifteen books published now. Um, so I always used to hear tales of, of kind of the media and everything that he got up to um, down in, uh, uh, you know, that there London, the big the big city. When I was just a, a lad growing up in a village in Lancashire. Um, and, and sort of doing my paper rounds. I used to do all the paper rounds across the village and, and sort of re- going reading all the, my Sunday was my favourite day, reading all the different match reports and the different types of papers and seeing how things got sort of uh, written differently and covered differently as I kind of, um, you know, w- went around the, the, the village. So always been that, that is true, actually, isn't it? The match report is an interesting, if you compare match reports in different papers, you you, you wonder whether they're watching the same match. That That is a very 
and under discussed variants in the media, but um, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you just you know without realizing it, you learn about the different styles of the kind definitely. of definitely tabloids, yeah. the mid markets, and, and the broadsheet sort of language, style, tone, and you know all, all that kind of stuff through it all. Um, so anyway, we, we come back from 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 Australia, working in the prison, and I got in touch with Wigan Athletic, which is my local team, to try and build up some experience doing some press office stuff for those guys. So I started to interview players and write articles for the website and, and match day program and so on and so forth, and build up a bit of a, a portfolio. Meanwhile, I was I was trying to get um, a sort of job in in, um, in the PR land as well. I didn't know anyone. I didn't know you know we live sort of forty miles out of Manchester. I didn't know anyone in the big big city as it felt like back then. Um, but through sort of networking and by that, I mean, asking people in the pub on a Friday night, these were the days when the pub used to be absolutely full of people watching Big Brother on a Friday night and watching evictions and stuff. seems like a whole other world now. We're asking mates and mates and mates. Eventually I got a connection with someone who, who worked at, um, at ConnectPoint um, and, and managed to go and land my first job there um, through just kind of showing the work I've been doing with the football writing and all that kind of stuff. So um but meanwhile whilst i've been doing the football stuff I'd, I'd also written a couple of match reports for the local paper on a kind of uh just just on a pro bono basis for the the editor at uh, wigan evening post Gillian gray still remember her name because uh, the, the junior sports reporter was um going to be leaving but she didn't get back to me for months so i just thought that opportunity had passed and then i was probably about a month into my pr career and absolutely loving it at connect point and i got a call out of the blue um from from Gillian one afternoon offering me the job as sport junior sports reporter so then a career crossroads of, of kind of do I stick with PR or, or follow um, a path into sort of follow my uncle's path into journalism. Um, and to be honest, if it had been the Burnley Express following my team, Burnley around the country and getting paid for it, I'd have been the handoff. But um, as it was Wigan who I had no interest in, they just happened to be near where I lived and I just love PR. I stuck with PR, thank goodness. And it's a decision that I'm, you know, so pleased I stuck with to this day. And it's all worked out. So yeah. just give me the, the dates. What, how long have you been in PR now? Uh, 2000, 2001, I started to see it over 20 years, yeah. yeah. Um, and you've never looked back, Rick. Um, look back. Just, I look, listen, there's days. I mean, I, I love what we do, and it's, it's still, you know, there's days when you just pinch yourself and actually getting paid to do some of the crazy things we've done. You know, I've played beach football um, in Dubai with World Cup winners like Leonardo and, you know, played with every Cantona I've done, you know, I've, we work with Olympians now, like Becky Adlington and, and Steve Parry. So some of the stuff you do and people you meet and experiences you have through, you know, the name of work, but we do meaningful stuff, you know, we help we help reduce, um, uh, you know, sort of nuisance and wrong cost and 999 services and, and you know, indirectly kind of helping to, to help people get life-saving um, uh, support and things. So it's not just about flogging more things. It's, it's great when we do, um, work with meaning as well and you know charitable giving has been at the heart of our business as well from, from day one it's something Vanessa and I are passionate about we've, we give at least 1% of profit back to charity every year we, we believe you should be as a business contributing back to the community and we grow our people as well not just about work skills but we give everyone a, a bursary each year to go off and learn stuff absolutely nothing to do with work just to grow them as people without the cooking skills, whatever, driving skills, photography, whatever they want to kind of go off and do as people. So I think it's, it's using business to create a platform to make make the world a better place, um, really. But have fun and make profit along the way and all that. There's nothing wrong with combining the two. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. Well, you always look like you're enjoying yourself, Rick. There's no doubt about that. But yeah, I, I, the, the visual of you on a beach with, do you say Ronaldo or Ronaldinho? 
It was Leonardo. Leonardo, right. You've got a picture of that. You send it in. We'll put it in with the show notes. That'd be quite good fun. Now, one of the things that we were talking about before was um, the idea that or one of the challenges, I suppose, that uh, agency owners, that I suspect, um, everywhere uh, still come up with, that, that many in-house PRs still see or still focus too much on PR as a, a media, only, media relations only discipline. Um, which I know is, you know, one of those those stereotypes we all like to, to to fight against and possibly try and think are in the past now, but it's still the reality for for some in-house PR folks, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think often the bigger the organisation, uh, the more departments they have across mark homes and in communications as well, the more segregation there is. And that's one of the first things we always try and do with clients is break down those silos and barriers. And that can be between external comms and internal comms, because you might have you might have an in-house um, internal comms team, or you might be full under the HR function, and that's not a liaison aligned with what's going on with the external team. Then on the external comms team, often, again, with the big brands, you might have a, a marketing team, as well as a brand team, as well as a, a PR team. And then you might have a digital team. Um, they're not all reporting to one person. They've often got different objectives, conflicting objectives, but but often, you know, that that, that PR work crosses all those boundaries and all those different departments. And ultimately it's it's kind of one one audience or one set of audiences that you're trying to influence and, and sort of, you know, make them think, feel, and do something different, whether that be on a performance um um, you know, sort of harvesting sales level or whether it's, you know, understanding, awareness, kind of taking action, you know, changing perception, whatever it might be from, from the sort of comms perspective. But often they're just all siloed um, elements out and then not getting the best bang for the buck from either their agency partners or, or their in-house teams and things. And it's just, it, it really frustrates me that, that people don't actually pull the, pull those things to, together, pull those different elements together um, tighter. and just It's, it's an um, one though, because when I... When I talk to in-house people, very often they seem to be quite integrated with their marketing colleagues. Do you know what I mean? And so I do agree that the structure internally has a huge impact on on how well integrated the the communications, the marketing communications of the business is, and that definitely can be done um, better in most in many organisations. But it's the idea that in-house people aren't thinking about integration and connected to their marketing teams, I th- that's not, that's not, th- I think things have improved a fair bit on that, haven't they, would you say? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not, that, that could sound quite disparaging or patronising, that's not how I mean it, but it's just something that we find, um, as I say, particularly bigger organisations, depends on the their organisation structure, as you kind of say, but you've got a brand team, we're very focused on on certain brand awareness levels and, and you know so on and so forth that might be different objectives to to the marketing team who are um you know on sort of cost per acquisitions or whatever their sort of different kpis are um and, and therefore they go after the same people but from different they're trying to pull different levers obviously there's a, a million and one different levers to, to pull in any sort of um, marketing communications world um and we're just trying to get to, to, to pull all those sort of kpis and dashboard things together so you can see that actually your work over here is obviously impacting all these other bits over here, and sometimes it's just not sort of because um, everyone's busy as well. So sometimes it's sometimes it's politics, sometimes it's because of reporting lines and who they kind of go into and what people want to see. Um, but sometimes you just need some fresh eyes to kind of look at um, look at that sort of complex world and just kind of help them 
um, see how each thing's inter- interdependent and, and how they can kind of report back report better on what they're doing, and there, um, you know, therefore be more effective overall in what they're all trying to achieve. Right. And just to finish on a, on a positive, Rick, um, well, positive for the Manchester PR scene anyway, um, there seems to be, well, I don't know, do you think there's an increasing trend of, of the big pictures wanting to include uh, a number of non-London agencies? It's certainly something we felt um, in the last three to four months where, uh, you know, a couple of major, major sort of brands, you know, very famous household names have particularly, specifically wanted non-London agencies, having been with London agencies forever in a day. I mean, uh, well, I suppose that an example might be Orton Towers, is it? The one you've just won? Uh, yeah, I think they've been with London agencies for, for, for quite a while. Um, and, and, you know, they want someone, first and foremost, to deliver against whatever, you know, the the, um, uh, the objectives are, whether it be media relations or whether it's that storytelling narrative throughout content, social, integrated kind of piece. But they just wanted the, the brands we've been chatting to particularly wanted a world view or an understanding of consumers outside of the M25 uh, and just kind of uh, the ability still to, to obviously land all that national impactful media co- coverage, but understanding how people think outside of the kind of London bubble and understand how, you know, the sort of world that everyone's operating in at the moment, uh, you yeah, know, which would be great for us. So long may that continue. Brilliant. Rick Gertrude, thanks so much for coming on the show. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, Ben. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network. If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.